Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, not one, but two legendary, amazing guests from the band Archers of Loaf, Eric Bachman and Matt Gentling are on the show today, and this is... It was a great interview. More on that in one second. Uh, I, I say it's a great interview. It's a great conversation. It's up to you whether or not it's a great interview, but I had a great time having the conversation. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire and the guy who turned me on to Archers of Loaf way back when, and he will get the message to me. He also runs a Twitter, no, a Instagram page and a Facebook page for Turned Out of Punk. I have a Twitter and an Instagram at left for damien if you want to follow me over there. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it or subscribing to it and rating it on the platform you're listening to it on or heading over to turnedoutofpunk.com and picking up a t-shirt. Thank you to everyone who has done that. It is very, very much appreciated over here on the show. I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. We got some shows coming up in Toronto at the end of October. Going back to the core, I think is how these shows are kind of being uh, being marketed, at least. Uh, we're going to be playing some old songs on October, whatever the weekend is, just before Halloween, like we used to do way back when. Uh, you can find out more information about that and upcoming releases over at fuckedup.cc. And check out the new video for Oberon. Starring uh, my man Camden, my little man Camden, seven years old now. My God, you blink your eyes and they're all grown up. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, as I said off the top, legends from the band Archers of Loaf, Matt Gentling and uh, Eric Bachman are here. Both also, Matt plays in Band of Horses, and Eric, of course, plays in Crooked Fingers, and you know these are just music legends and getting a chance to sit down and talk to him about punk rock is why we do this thing. Every time we get a chance to, we're going to do it. That's really at this point, this thing's back to being a zine. So why not make it fun? Uh, this is a cool conversation. They have a new brand new record coming out on merge records in a few short weeks. The album is called Reason in Decline, and you can pre-order it now over at archersofloaf.net or from Merge Records, and they've released a couple songs off this thing, and it is, woo, it's a fantastic record. Also, check out both of those websites, Merge or archersofloaf.net, and find out about upcoming tour dates. They're going to come to, they're coming to Toronto. So that, that's pretty awesome. Just saw that. So that's in January. So get excited, get amped, get set. Here is Eric Bachman and Matt Gentling on Turned Out a Punk. Eric, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Our pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, as I was just explaining to you both off air, um, I, I've got a number between one and 10 for us to pick between before we start the show, but I also spared you from this off air. I'm a huge fan. And so to get to do this with you both, it's going to be a, we're in for a fun ride, I think. Oh man. Thanks. Well, let's start Thank it off. So let's, let's start off by picking that number. I've got a number written down as I told you and merge has sent over, uh, some supervisors to make sure I did not cheat. And we will now pick a number between one and 10. <laughs> 
Matthew, please go first. Pick your number. Um, I'll say six. I'll say okay. two. Two. Okay. The number is five. Oh, that looks backwards, but uh, it's five. And it's I, I wrote it down on a on a cannabis extract box, and now we have sealed that. And so that's Matt, fake news, my friend. That's fake news. It's not five. That's fake. <laughs> well, Matthew, we got to start this off the way they all start off. First of all, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, it's kind of a funny story. Like, um, I was, you know, like a lot of punks, I was like a, you know, middle-class suburban kid, you know, I didn't have much in the way of real problems. I like, I was well-loved and treated well by my family and stuff and probably hadn't, I don't know why I gravitated towards it, but I didn't gravitate towards it immediately. Um, I was uh, I did I was turned off mostly by music that was around me when I was a little kid. Most of it was kind of I thought it was just hokey love songs and things. I've I've since fallen in love with a lot of that stuff, but you know it was the seventies, and it yacht rock was kind of the thing then, and uh, and I guess that turned me off a little. So I wasn't really I was musically inclined, but didn't really like a lot of the music I heard and. I was riding my BMX bike around with this kid named Kurt who uh, he loved heavy metal and he loved punk. And he kept telling me, he's like, Matt, you got to get into the dead Kennedys. They're amazing and you'll love them. And I thought the name was kind of hokey. I thought it was a little too like self-consciously provocative or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I may be covering my mic here. Sorry if I am. No, no, no it's fine. Uh, and so he kept pushing it. He kept trying to get me into Metallica as well. And I thought like the lyrics were kind of hokey and the, the theater was a little bit hokey. I've since got to where I, I love Metallica, <laughs> but um, anyway, we were out riding our BMX bikes around. We went down to uh, uh, it was either pastimes or record survival. I forget the, what the place was called at the time. It changed its name a couple of times, but uh, they had a little listening station in there. And he said, Matt, we're not leaving this building until you put these headphones on and you listen to some dead Kennedys. And he put on uh, fresh fruit for rotting vegetables and uh, uh, kill the poor came on. And it absolutely blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. It, it tapped into my sort of young kid spastic nature, you know, like uh, restless sort of high energy, little kid vibe. And then I thought, jello's voice I, I loved like it was so frenetic and terrifying you know and the music was just so blistering and awesome that i lost it and i was like there's got to be more like this out there you know and so then i started listening to it and Asheville is kind of a tough place for punk because there was a there was a decent punk community but you know they're all a lot older and there there was no way to get records around here it was it was hard to find any punk records at all. The fact that they had that Dead Kennedys record there was a, a big surprise. But um, so, you know, you kind of catch things as they could. For instance, the first Sex Pistols record I ever heard was a buddy of mine had scored the great rock and roll swindle, which is utterly the wrong way to get into the Sex Pistols. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was the only door open at the time. I was aware of their existence, but didn't know anything about them. And that was the first I heard of them. And so, but then there was also a, um, a, a nighttime show, the public radio station here. Sorry if I'm rambling too much. No, no. This, that's what the bread and butter of the show is, just rambling about punk. Okay. You can edit with a heavy hand. Oh, God, know? no. This is, if we edit this, then I, I got to go back and edit every episode. <laughs> how, how punk yeah. would that be? To have an editor, yeah, I mean. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so like uh, there was a, um, I think it was called Sonics. There was a, like a nighttime radio show that uh, uh, a, a local woman hosted and it was for like a couple hours starting at midnight on like a Monday night or whatever. And uh, she would just play punk stuff. And uh, a buddy of mine that I rode skateboards around with, he um, uh, had his family had a tape deck that was programmable like a, like a VCR. Like we thought his dad was like really fancy for that. Like his dad was super into classical music and I guess he would record for the time. Fancy. 
What's that? For the time, that is fancy. It was, yeah, yeah. It was pretty impressive. And so John would tape uh, Sonics so that, you know, because we were kids and in school and our parents made us go to bed and all that stuff, which is, that's a rebellious way to talk about punk, but... Um, a lot of anyway, us had to live think, it. A lot of us had yeah, to live that life. No, so. You don't know how I suffered, man. Yeah. <laughs> but the, um, the, he would tape that that show and the next day and we would we built a little half pipe in his backyard and we would skate and listen to all this stuff and half the time i wouldn't know who it was like i heard i believe by the uh buzzcocks and i just it would just stick in my head it's such a a beautiful catchy wonderful song but it wasn't until i was i was working in the archaeology lab in in unc in college that i heard the song come on again and then they they told you who it was and that's it wasn't until then that i realized that song was by the buzzcocks Mm -hmm. so i was just kind of scraping along but the upside of that was my window was open you know just anything could drift in and i would eat it up you know that's how i got into butthole surfers and circle jerks and stuff i didn't know what a circle jerk was and uh i went home to have dinner with my parents and i was like god i'm learning about all these crazy bands with really funny names like butthole surfers and circle jerks and my dad just about threw up his food he was laughing so hard (laughs) and he had to explain luckily my dad is awesome has a great sense of humor and he had to explain it to me and that was a funny thing from my life sorry how did he explain (laughs) to you yes sorry that's funny how did he explain it i think he said it's when a group of, of men get together and, and ma- masturbate together. I think it was that straightforward and simple. He's a medical doctor. Yeah. He's he, yeah. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a nurse. So you can only imagine what the dinner table conversations were like. You know, we'd talk about like rectal prolapses and things at the dinner table, practically like it, you know, there was nothing off limits there. That's also where minor surgery would happen. Like, that's where I got most of my stitches removed is at the dinner table. <laughs> my stepfather was not nearly as cool. And when I told him that we wanted to go see a band called the circle jerks, he spat out at the dinner table. You're not going to go see some come in your face band. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I much He's prefer trying. Trying to be a good parent, but yeah, just missing it. Yeah, I don't know. I think your story's better. Like, I think (laughs) you've got you've got a line now that that you can enjoy for the rest of, and and that I can enjoy for the rest of all of our lives. Oh, absolutely. However long we we last here, I have to thank my stepfather for my entire for the trauma that he caused that gave me my entire lyrical career and and fucked up. (laughs) You know, I really do owe him. Yeah, you do. You really do. You really do do. owe him a thank you for thanks for. Thanks for be- the uh, abuse or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eric, how did you get into punk? What was your entry point? So I, uh, I uh, didn't really respond out of the gate because my uh, my first exposure to it, I lived in St. Pete, Florida, and I had my parents divorced when I was eight, and I was probably nine. I was still living with my mom, and uh, we lived. Uh, in St. Pete, and I had a friend named Michael Sheeran, and through him, I met a lot of other people. We went to a Catholic school called Holy Family, and uh, there was a guy named Bradley, and he was like, he had had a lung problem, and he had like half of his chest was collapsed, was it concave, and he had one lung problem, but his name was Bradley, and uh, Michael used to always make fun of him by calling him Bradley, like making fun of his name, but he he was really into Bruce Lee and really into Kung Fu. Yeah. And so we would always watch all these. I had no, I mean, I was living with my mom. I had an older brother. My dad was in Chattanooga. And uh, and so we really, my mom was working at a nation's bank, making like six grand a freaking year, working as a bank teller, you know. So we were not, you know, uh rolling in the dough or anything, but we were fine. But uh Bradley uh, introduced me to uh, the Clash. Oh, that's and awesome! So, and he he just listened to that music. His dad was into into music like that, and and uh, and his uh, the music to me because I was actually at the time, I guess it would have been nineteen seventy eight or nine, maybe maybe 80, 79, 80, somewhere in that range. Because I'm nine, ten years old. I was born in seventy. Anyway, uh, I was into Blondie. 
And I was into that kind of thing uh, and, and Devo, you know, and stuff like that. That wasn't really punk. It was more new wave, you know. I, and, I, uh, I lump it in. I think both those bands are, you know, like are certainly fundamental to the foundation of punk. But I think also I like, you know, before it gets codified, like it's amazing. Like Matt was saying, it's like buzzcocks all the way to butthole surfers. It was a broad spectrum. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I love I, that. I consider Devo punk as hell. Oh, I totally. Yeah. Certainly in the attitude. Certainly in the subversion. Yeah, yeah. Know, it's a beautiful world. It's so sarcastic and so it's wonderful, you know. <laughs> and that's the spirit, you know. So um, and I was into that kind of thing. And so through that, I, I got into through Bradley and he introduced me to all that music. And and that stuff was also being played on the radio. Like Blondie and Whippet was being like Devo was being played on the radio, believe it or not. Um yeah. back then. Um, and so the clash was my first sort of thing into it. And I think I liked uh why right. A wide ride. I think I like well, I like that kind of rhythmic stuff. But there's some of it that was just like, oh, it's just too aggressive. I don't want that, you know. And so I didn't come come into it until later, you know. Um, and I I uh, I loved that record though. I guess that's the first class record. And I guess give them enough rope, Bradley. I remember Bradley having that. We listened to that. And I think London Calling was about to come out, so that'd have been '79, I guess. So it was that around that era, 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 that time and. Uh, that was really the only band that I, I mean, when I'd hear the Ramones, I'd be like, oh, it's just too, I don't really like that that much, you know. Now, of course, now, <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love it, you know. Um, and it's funny, the metal was a big thing in Florida. And uh, so there was this thing among my peers where if you liked punk and metal, they didn't really, it kind of didn't mix yet. Something, yeah. at least in my community, it kind of was the thing. So with my, fr- my certain, certain groups of my friends, we, you know, we loved, we loved the, uh, uh, Matt, Matt, you're talking about the sort of the, the the presentation of metal. Metal is such a fantastical. I'm on a I'm on a horse. I'm a, I'm a, I'm on a horse riding my stallion with my shield and my I'm heavy metal. I am going yeah. to rock. You know, it's just got this even the even thing. the real down to earth metal has like a mythical. I love fan, it. Yeah, totally. element. I love I, that yeah, aspect. I, of I'm it. falling for that now. I couldn't understand yeah. why all the punk guys went metal, and I was bitter about it for the longest time. <laughs> Yeah, they're bastards. That's the thing. Now yeah. I listen to metal all the time. Well, that's the that's love a, I love the fantasy. I I love the theater of that. And so then it yeah. wasn't until I sort of realized well, this is sort of silly, but I still love it. You know that mm-hmm. I kind of fell, yeah. found, fell more into punk. And then when I fell into punk, it was more like Marty Ruth. Uh, from mm. when I was I was in a band in high school called Iron Beagle, and we we played like <laughs> the punkest we got. We didn't really play punk music. We play a Clash song or, or two. We would play Led Zeppelin or. Uh, you know, uh, the cure or, you know, stuff that wasn't really, it was more new wave again, or, or just kind of post that. But, uh, but then uh, Marty Roop got me into seven seconds and a minor threat and crass and like all the deep hardcore stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I loved it at that point. I loved it. Cause they, they were all skaters and I'm six, six and I'm so, so horrible on my feet. Like I can't, I'm not ill balanced when I'm just walking, but on a skateboard, I would just sit there and listen to this music and I would sort of play the tapes, play the cassettes, you know, while everybody mm-hmm. else would skate. And so I got to play DJ with a lot of that stuff and learned about a lot of that music that way and uh, never, never, never turned back, you know, so. It's amazing how punk is kind of like the, the antithetical to metal in the way that like, you know, the bands you mentioned, Kevin's Seven Seconds, Minor Threat and Crass, like they're singing all about the opposite of fantasy. Like it's sort of like. Oh, totally. Oh, it's their, it's yeah. their neighborhood. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good point. Hey, can I interject and, and put something in front of the camera? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh. That's, That's awesome. It. It's That's backwards. Amazing. That is yeah. Iron Beagle, and it's still wrapped in the cellophane. Oh, don't sell it. Yeah, it's going to be worth at least six bucks. Oh, it's, my gosh. It, I think, it'll yeah. go up to seven or eight, man. Yeah, <laughs> hey, maybe. Yeah, you got to time it right, but yeah, time it right. I, I, I saw I, Iron Beagle live a couple times. Yeah, oh, that's was awesome. I missed that. You guys that. were a fine band. I missed that uh, enthusiasm. You know, when you're 14 and 15 and you're in a band, and uh, we, we were just so enthusiastic. I think you're still enthusiastic when you're 20, 23, 25. And at 52, I'm still enthusiastic about certain things, but not in that same way. Not when it's all new. I mean, yeah. I know you, you play in a band. So, I mean, everybody, everybody here, is, it's just a thing. It's, you know, mm-hmm. that, that enthusiasm, I always, it's just to, to try to get it back. You know, you always want to, you never want to lose that. You know? Yeah. We had, we had a couple like heavy metal high school bands at Asheville High that were both great. And they were like the, the best dudes ever, like really, really good people. And one of them kind of practiced in my neighbor's, like down the hill from where I grew up at my neighbor's house. And one day I was driving somewhere and you could tell they had a gig. They had like a Datsun pickup truck that was just loaded down, like the springs were just flattened out and with, you know, a whole bunch of amps and gear and stuff. 
and just a bunch of like dudes with long hair. And I, it turned out to be those guys. I, I noticed them and they were on their way, obviously to play a gig, you know, and, and we didn't, my high school band didn't have those things. We didn't have gigs, you know, really. And, I was so envious that they had a gig, but it was what really grabbed me was just how excited and happy and, and, and enthusiastic they were. Like they would stop at stop signs. I guess they were caravanning. Like there was a, another car full of people and then there was the truck loaded down with gear and they would jump out of the, the car and run to the truck and talk to each other at stop signs and stuff. They were so excited and they ripped too. They were, they're an excellent band. Uh, yeah. I still keep up with, with a lot of those guys in those bands, but like, sorry, that was an aside. That's what Eric was talking about is that enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that the metal guys, they want to get really good at their instrument. Like there's a thing about like the virtual, like the the Talavas or these Mm. guys, they just phenomenal phenomenal players. Mm -hmm. Wow. How are you doing that with your hands? You know, but there's, I I kind of appreciate that, uh, that sort of discipline behind metal and all that. Yeah. Yeah. and that's the great thing about punk on, you know, that I think is different than metal is the fact that you don't need that virtuosity. Like there's mm-hmm. no emphasis on workshopping your instrument, your mm-hmm. craft for years. It's like you go out there and you play as soon as you can. Yeah. And oh, it's, man. It, it's a response yeah, against that sort of pretension. It's, it's like well, punk almost comes from like, well, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't have to have that to communicate yep. what I'm feeling or whatever, whatever I'm trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Which is beautiful, for me, it you know? wasn't a choice. I've just never had the <laughs> dexterity to be right. like, I couldn't, I wish right. I could play like those guys, right. but I, it's just not an option for me. I've been playing bass yeah. for a million years and I still am not really a technical player. I, um, and, uh, and so that, I think that was another reason I got into punk is, yeah. is just because I could, it was accessible to me. Yeah. Um, and, 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 punk is not about the chops you know you get by on creating a mood and a, and a atmosphere or whatever so well i would argue that it's not getting by i would argue that you're required if you're not going to be dazzling people with your fancy musicianship you have to have a profoundly interesting personality hmm. yeah that, that that's and that's actually more important to art <laughs> to anything that's a good point. to me yeah. so that's why i think it's such a such a, a rewarding and why it's been such a compelling uh, magnetic form of music is because people are if you're not interesting you're not going to be you're not going to nobody's going to nobody's going to watch you or hear you you know you have yeah, to that's an be. excellent point and like and and uh uh that reminds me of how uh you know jello biafra and his spoken word stuff he was talking about he would kind of rail about how conservative metal is and as a genre I, don't, I think that's changed now i don't think it's like that anymore but it, certainly back in the 80s and even into the 90s, metal was a pretty conservative genre stylistically, mm-hmm. and punk was sort of the 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 more like anything goes yeah. sort of approach. And yeah. I guess I gravitated toward that as well. But well, I think Jell's a great example of like what what Eric's saying. Like you you had to have this charisma to carry these bands in a mm-hmm. way, and like that's why the front person in hardcore is such a a key figure because it is like totally. A lot, yeah, like a lot of it's like yeah. John Brannon and like there's so many iconic oh, front people, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, yourself included. I mean, that's part of why your band works so well. Agreed, yeah. Sweating and shirtless <laughs> and just fucking telling the truth. It's like, yeah. it's interesting. It's like, you know. I love yeah. watching you play yeah. live. Like, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I am unbelievably flattered. I had no idea that you'd seen us play live. So that is very, very awesome to hear. That is. It's a treat. It, a couple times, It's a yeah. real treat seeing you just rip it up out there, man. I'm glad no one can see me blush because they don't have the uh, video of this going on <laughs> it's the audio. <laughs> but I think that's the, the it's the it's this genre that once again like pushes the idea of just being there, telling your truth, and you know I think that's the appeal of it, and that's why I think so many interesting people are drawn to it that wind up doing disparate things creatively in the world. It's just because right. it's one of the few places where it's like come come here just do something get involved there's a sense of family to it absolutely there's a sense of family about it yeah i think mm-hmm. so uh I, I guess like imperial beagle you know you mentioned doing cure covers i want to i want to know what the band sounded like what was the vibe oh, of this band? Uh, dude it's, I, it's iron beagle it's iron, iron beagle, beagle. sorry yeah. I'm, I'm imperial beagle. i love imperial oh, beagle. that's fucking I think, fantastic i think that's <laughs> the name of my that's the name of, of my friend danko jones's podcast about three no regal beagle 
yeah. I think is his, his Three's Company podcast that he does. So. Yeah. We got to start a band, man. We got to start a band called Empirical Beagle. Empirical I'm, Beagle. I'm down. Oh. Let me know Maybe, when. Yeah. Send me the oh, track. It's all, it's all science rock. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy shit! Um, yeah, we played. We played. Uh, we, I think we played uh, uh, the Stranger. <laughs> I think we played uh, Boys Don't Cry. I know we played in between days. Some of the more uh, more uh, poppy stuff or whatever. Um, but that was on Marty. Marty was bringing all that stuff in. I was bringing in like REM stuff and uh, uh, just Led Zeppelin, you know, classic rock stuff that I liked. Mm-hmm. Again, I, from Florida, you know, Florida was very classic rock and metal, and there was the punk thing, and I liked it, but it was really not until I got older, like me- meeting Marty and starting that I got into. Uh, and I guess my biggest thing was like, I eventually was a really big fan of No Wave stuff. I got into like Glenn Branca and Lydia Lunch and Theoretical yeah. Girls and the Static and all that stuff. So I like I look at that Florida stuff, the especially the punk stuff that was coming out of Florida that time. It's yeah. so weird. Like I love it's it you know like for everything from the screaming sneakers to the sewer oh zombies. I, see, I don't I don't know that stuff. I I, I've heard the, the names. I know the names, but I've yeah. not heard. And I know that there's a, a thing happening over there. But I, I was too young. I was nine. You know. Yeah, I didn't even stuff. know about the screaming sneakers. I love that name. The Screaming Sneakers, uh, I had a very intense, I smoked DMT in Australia one time and then went backstage to this Foo Fighters concert and ended up smoking weed with Johnny Depp while he's in full makeup from Pirates of the Caribbean. And he he asked me if I've ever heard of this band called the Screaming Sneakers. And I'd been given a bootleg the day before by my friend in Melbourne of the Screaming Sneakers. Now we're in Brisbane. And uh-huh. I pull it out and he just starts crying and he's like, That's my ex-girlfriend's band. Oh whoa. <laughs> it was the most weird experience, but they're an unbelievable go, power pop band. <laughs> well, it was like it was like a rosebud moment. It was a total yeah. like Citizen Kane rosebud moment. Totally. Rosebud moment. Totally. Way to make yeah. Johnny Depp cry, man. I love well, it. Yeah, well, I ruined the makeup. Are... <laughs> yeah. Well, these, the actors, yeah. Uh, that story has not aged nearly as well, unfortunately. I love but... that's I think that's my favorite story I've heard in a long time. It was a weird day. It was a very yeah. a DMT was yeah. and also in my DMT experience, I saw right. the elves printing out the the same pattern that Johnny Depp had on his face. That oh, was so you were brothers. you were flying, yeah. You were you were you were going nuts. I was off the DMT. DMT only yeah. lasts fifteen minutes and then you're, you're, okay. you're good. But yeah. uh, but afterwards that lasting impression of this pattern I saw the elves making was yeah. was driven home by Johnny <laughs> Depp's face paint. Was he awkward or mad at you about making him cry later, or was it just no. over? And, okay, yeah, he was, he was. Yeah, he was totally good. Yeah. He gave me his yeah. weed, and at the end of the day, and he rolled, rolled the rest up in his pant leg, but gave me the joint. And he's like, yeah. "I'll see you yeah. later." And he talked. We just talked Florida punk stuff. Like I think right. there's a lot of you know. Once again, it, as much as there's an incredible history of metal in in both Asheville and Florida, mm-hmm. but there's uh, there's also just sort of these punk undercurrents that you know, thrive because not all kids fit in with metal because like you were saying, Matt, it is tends to be more conservative at times and also requires a lot more virtuosity. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. it's it can be a little jockey at times too. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Too too macho, yeah. Yeah. And it's exclusionary, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just totally different. But how did small come together? Mike Kenlin, uh who uh was trying to start a band he was a good friend of mine and he uh i i, I played in his band it was a guy named matt walter the three of us were a band and there was a guy named kelly cox who is a great he worked at a record store in louisville for years but he's a really great dude and i haven't talked to him in a while but he started the band with mike we had several names before it was cupcake uk we were called ream r-e-e-m we were called uh couple other things I can't quite remember. Uh, and then finally, uh, Mike, which I admire this trait in him, he he was ambitious enough that he wanted to do his own songs and sing his own songs. So he would come in with guitar riffs and Kelly would sing over them. And Mike's like, I want, this is what I have for it, you know. And so Mike decided to start his own band without Kelly and asked me to come and, and Matt Walter to come. We had a, a, a drummer for a while and, and that, that, didn't work out, and then they get Chuck Garrison from Superchunk to play, and from now from Pipe to play. Um, and so it was me and Mike and Matt and Chuck, and we did that probably for a year or two. But then what happened is the same thing that happened to Mike with Kelly happened with me and Mike, where I I would present him wrong, or I'd present him web in front, <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 no. 
I don't want those. You know, we're going to do these, you know. I said, well, then fuck you. I'm going to start my own band. And I, yeah. And then it ended up being the archers where EJ and I started getting together. Eric Johnson and I met on the bus and started getting together. And we kind of knew each other from Asheville, he, but we didn't know each other well. And then he knew Matt and he brought Matt in and then Matt brought Clay in. Clay went on to do something else, but then Matt and EJ brought in Mark. So small, that's a little more than you asked, but uh, small was something once I stayed in small while the archers were going, because I love Mike and I love his guitar playing and I loved Matt and Chuck. It was a great group of guys to play in a band with. You guys had a lot of really great songs too. Like I loved a lot of the songs from that era. Yeah. Well, it was a fun band to be in. And I, I had, bear in mind, I had been a music major at App State in Boone. And I was a saxophone major and I was a uh, piano. I played a lot of piano and saxophone. So I, I didn't play guitar, but I, I just wanted to write. What I would do instead of practice my saxophone as I would write songs on a piano at, at my, in the practice rooms. And finally, I had a smart enough teacher to go like, man, you're not, you don't want to be a band director or a teacher. You need to go somewhere where there's music, you know, where, where there's bands and stuff. So I moved to Chapel Hill and I bought a guitar. I bought a GNL Superhawk guitar. Yep. I remember that thing. And it was a, a I, song called Super Hawk. Yeah. So I know. So I had, I bought it. I don't, I, I know, I know what music, you know, I, I have friends that are guitar players and I know, but my guitar came with the E string broken. And so I was broke as shit, man. I, I was working at the Carolina coffee shop. Like I just had no money. So I had this guitar. I think I bought a guy's Yamaha amp, Clay, the guy named Clay, not Clay Boyer, but a different guy named Clay from Asheville. Like for a hundred dollars, I bought the guitar and the amp. This is 1988 or nine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, didn't have an E string. So I just started writing songs without the E string. When I finally got enough money and I bought a pack of strings, I thought, I don't want the E string there because then it makes a third. I don't want a fucking third. I want this. I want to rock. I don't want, you know. And so I took the E string off, <laughs> put everything down, and put the E on top like a banjo drone. And that, that's what I have it tuned to now. <laughs> that's awesome. I, and this is still, this is my Archer's guitar. It's right, you know, it's here. That's uh, I, there was a uh, interview that I saw with Jesus and Mary Chain where they were talking about how they didn't bother stringing more than two strings on the bass, and why we need more than three strings on the guitar. And once again, I think it's that <laughs> like sort of freedom that you know yeah. that came with this genre where you didn't have to be doing yeah. what the person before you did. Well, yeah, and my the, joke and the, is that yeah, my bass has four strings, but I only know how to use one of them. <laughs> that's all you it need works. it works man yeah, yeah. exactly you yeah. made it work for yeah. like but <laughs> i guess your options yeah who were like who are the early punk bands from Asheville, matt like who were some of the early bands i didn't know a lot of them but urban spelunkers they were probably the most successful kind oh, of you know man. like punk band mm-hmm. from town and oddly enough i feel like when i was in high school i saw them open for driving and crying <laughs> Oh sure. And I think I saw them play like a, a street festival or two in town, but they were cool. Like they stylistically, they looked a little kind of kind of um, crusty New York or like uh, they looked a little bit like Jesus and Mary Chain. They had kind of shaggy hair and wore glass sunglasses all the time, but they were really fun. And then there was these guys weren't I don't know if punk really applies, but that band Pure did really well they yeah. were based out of here and merge was putting out their records until uh they had a tragedy they had a, a, a i think it was a van wreck it might have just been a car wreck but um i forget who was killed in that but one of the band members was killed and it obviously ended ended the band along with it but they were an excellent band there was a band called uh and this was in my high school i was south of Asheville, about 11 miles in skyland so i was more a little less not necessarily Asheville, but a little south of there it's all grown together now, kind of. But and there was a band from my high school. A guy named Sean was in this band, and I, I love them. They were called Stations of the Cross. Oh wow! Remember that? Yes. Band? Remember that? Yeah. That was. I was. I knew there was another that I was trying to remember. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm getting. Uh, they they did pretty well. Though. They they made a couple of cassettes and they toured it quite a bit. They played quite a bit. And uh, I mean, it was very uh, in that seven second school. The the that, it was very it was hardcore, you know. So mm-hmm. um, they were great. But yeah, they were great. They were great. Yeah. All my friends in high school were always like writing their little logo, you know, SOTC right. on their on their yeah. notebooks and right. stuff. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, they were great. Yeah. yeah, they were cool, man. I've never heard yeah. of them. That's all. Like, but I, that's the thing is, like, tapes are such a, a regional format. Like, yeah, you know, tapes didn't get out the way records did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like that is well. I guess that's also the great thing about punk is that you have so many things 
that are like Iron Beagle that are documented that wouldn't otherwise be documented because tapes right, were affordable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It, records cost a lot of money. You needed to be a little bit more established to get a vinyl out, but like yeah. anyone could get. And a those days were kind of the those were the local legend days anyway, because not not because anybody was was aiming for that. You just didn't have the media to mm-hmm. to get your stuff out there. You know, yeah. you'd put out a little cassette or whatever. Like you've got. And, and and bands would achieve legendary status within like a 10 mile radius or whatever. Like Raleigh had a lot of that, you know, Raleigh was like, had all these great bands, Richmond, Virginia had all these great bands, like that band confessor, that metal band mm-hmm, from Raleigh. Absolutely. Like, yep. Nobody, not that many people have heard of them outside of, of the triangle area, but you, you go inside that area and people, they're legends. Yeah. And one of the dudes, like one of the guys from Confessor went on to play with um uh Penn Rawlings. He played in that band Loincloth. It's kind of a post-Breadwinner, yeah. Breadwinner style band that you know Penn after after Breadwinner broke up, he formed it. And that stuff's amazing. And this guy played from Confessor plays guitar on it. Well, even and like it, Honor Roll and, and and Honor Roll kind of made it outside of Richmond, but well, everything was pretty insular back then. Well, that was actually who I was going to bring up on a roll. That's a perfect example of like, even if a band did make it out to understand what they meant to the local scene versus how they were taken up years later internationally or nationally is so different. And it, mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing is like honor roll is a perfect example because I love those records. Like I, and I, I definitely appreciate them, but everyone who ever saw them tells me you only understand a little. You don't get piece. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 They are definitely a band like that. Like, they the people that actually saw them back in the day which i never had the chance to are reverent about them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i've, I've definitely back has driven that home to me many times yeah the, yeah. the live experience <laughs> is so important to their to what defines them it's like you would you, you could listen to all the jesus lizard records in the world but if you never saw them live you would miss 80 percent of what it, it makes them great you know? totally totally that same totally. idea of honor roll i think yeah yeah. I had the live record before I got to see them live, and I just remember not really getting the live record. I'm like, why can you barely hear him singing most of the time? Like, what's going on? <laughs> what's he doing? The show? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, then, and then you get to see it. You're like, oh. Ah. Same with Youth of the Day. I had a Youth of the Day live bootleg before I got to see them live and, and just, you know, not understanding it as a kid. Like, why is he never singing? Like, who? <laughs> yeah. What's he doing with a microphone at this yeah. point? Yeah. He's busy, uh, man. He's yeah. busy. He's, he's using it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't be singing it right now. He's using it for something else. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the band Finger because they're also a band that I love and I feel like n- not really appreciated as much outside of the local scene. They were awesome. Well, that that's uh, that's actually kind of an all star band. I mean, Brad ended up playing with freaking Keith Urban and stuff. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. the guitar player ended up going crazy with like studio musician work and session work and whatever. And he was a phenomenal guitar player back then, and I'm sure he's even more so now. Yeah, they course, were all amazing. John Howie uh, was their drummer, but he ended up being a really, he's a great singer and writer. And uh, he does this, John Howie does this country thing now. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's quite good, you know. And uh, and I just loved watching that band because I felt like I was watching what the Stones must have been like, you know. Yeah. In, in 1968 or whatever, you know. Um, uh, and Ricky, I don't remember who the bass player was. I can picture but, him, but I can't remember his yeah. name. But they were great live. We played. They were I all saw, really good. Uh, when, the, when I was in band with Kelly Cox, with uh, Mike Kinlan, the early days of Small, uh, we we did a few shows with Finger. And I remember, I, I always felt like, oh man, we got to follow these guys, or we got to play before these guys because they were, they were, yeah. they were quite handy. They were they were they were good. They were they were like musically, they played well, you know. So yeah, yeah. Most open for them in Greens in Greenville. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. There's always that band that you dread having to play after. I feel yeah, like at yeah. every stage of our band, there's been a band where it's like you show up and you're like, "Oh my god, there's no way we're gonna we're gonna yeah. sound like we're playing on Tinker Toys." Totally. Well, they were yeah. like that. Yeah, Finger was that. Well, their tones were great. They they just sounded really good. So. Well, I think the yeah. first small release is is like a three way split with uh, Motorola and Finger as well, right? I mean, you, you might know better than me. Fish hips and turkey lips. I, I'm cheating. I did research, so yeah, that's that's how I, I know. But I think that's like a, a vinyl uh, three-way split. I think that's it is on Matt, on Matt Records, on Shakedown Records. Uh, okay. Well, I don't I don't have it. I wish I had a copy of it. I, I'm sure it's true. 
Well, you I, I remember like, to cover that album. What songs? What songs are on that out on that on that uh, single? Uh, they're uh, uh, Billy Spear versus Jimi Hendrix, Empty Room, every, Empty Room, and Empty then, Room, uh, Nasty Little Chick. Okay, and then God, fingers fingers on there too with uh, New no, and Improved and Out of yeah. Focus and Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about uh, Empty Room and, and Nasty Little Chick. Nasty Little Chick yep. was kind of smallest hit from for the local area. I remember that. That's a Mike Kennedy <laughs> song. And that girl that that song was about ended up moving to Seattle. And we're, we saw her when we in our first tour to Seattle. Matt, we, we met her, or saw her again because she she she's been a familiar face because she had lived in Chapel Hill. You know, just yeah, beautiful, beautiful purple hair and just beautiful. Oh, she's. <laughs> I do. I remember very, her. Very yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Well, and Motorola. Speaking of supergroups, Motorola, man, they were a supergroup. That guy yeah. John, who played drums, is like such a great drummer. And Mark keeps telling the story where he was talking to John. He was like, "Man, you are such a good drummer." And John goes, well, you should see me play bass. <laughs> and apparently it's like, Love and he it. meant it. Like, he's yeah, like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's and he awesome. can rip up the guitar. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. that guy's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's wild when you break down, like you're saying, like with all these bands, like in that kind of like geographical area of America, how many kids were coming out of these scenes that would wind up becoming unbelievable musicians having other careers in music and all that mm-hmm. stuff like it really is like a light bulb for for cool moths to kind of yeah. gather around yeah yep uh, what was your first band matt uh my first band was oh boy it was called rain we later changed our name to kangaroo after the uh after the big star song but uh, we were brought together by a kind of a mutual love of the replacements. And we hung around a lot. And, and it was uh, that guy, Clay, who was the first like drummer initially for Archers for just the first few months. And um, and a guy named Matt McMichaels, who's uh, he plays in a bunch of bands now. But uh, uh, they were, you know, two of my real kind of tightest friend circle. And uh they were a drummer and a guitarist and they were always trying to find a bass player. And one, one day Matt's like, man, if we're going to be hanging out together all the time and we like all the same music, you might as well learn to play bass. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, you, that makes sense. So he taught me how to play little basic bass parts on an, on his acoustic guitar. We'd like come back to his house after like a high school party and he, we'd go, he had in his basement, he had gotten a whole bunch of scrap carpet and he had carpeted every surface to like insulate the basement. And that was the music room. Yeah. And we would sit in there and he would teach me. The first song I learned was Hardly Wait by The Replacements. And uh, we would sit there and, and he would teach me how to play. And so then we, we played in this band together and we, you know, did a bunch of replacements and big star covers and things like that. But um, it was funny because like years later, like just a, a few years ago, um, you know, I've been playing with uh, Band of Horses lately, and uh, uh, Ben is a big Replacements fan, <clears throat> and pretty much everybody was. And we were at a sound check, and our guitarist at the time, Ian, just breaks into that opening riff of Hardly Wait, and everybody jumped in, and we played through the song flawlessly first try without knowing that everybody else knew how to play it. <laughs> and Ben was like, it's going on the set list tonight. And so we started covering it. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of funny. Like That's how, awesome. yeah, Full but anyway, circle, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry about that digression, but no. we, uh, but we, we played all the way up. I went away to, to college for a while and then transferred to UNC. And um, those two guys were already at UNC. So I just kind of got back into the band when I got back. But Eric Johnson knew that I was coming to, to Chapel Hill and he had already called me and asked if I wanted to play with him and Eric Bachman. And I knew Eric Bachman, like this high school band that I was in opened for Eric's band back when we were in high school at one point, just one show. <clears throat> and so I knew Eric and knew who he was. We had a lot of common friends and I'd played music with Eric Johnson before and I'd played music with Mark Price before and everything. But, uh, Anyway, he asked if I wanted to play with them. So I found myself kind of in two bands, like right when Archer started, this other band, Kangaroo, was still kind of going on. 
And it wasn't until like Archer started getting so busy. I, I had to kind of, you know, leave kangaroo, but I've stayed friends with all those guys and they're, they're good folks. Did you ever record with that band? Because like a replacements, uh, big star influence band from uh, high school sounds awesome. We have so many four track songs, and I think our I think Clay digitized them and put them on a on a CD somewhere. But I mean, I was I had just learned. Arguably, I hadn't yet learned how to play bass. <laughs> it's arguable I still haven't, but it was really bad then. I was really terrible. Uh, but so who- I don't. I I'm just I just assumed Barry <laughs> like I don't know what, those guys wrote great songs but man the bass player oof <laughs> I, I think a primitive sounding big stars is pretty you're selling me yeah <laughs> yeah we had we had pretty good tastes <laughs> I don't know if we I don't know if it came through in a, in the music or not but it definitely didn't come through in the bass playing. <laughs> um it is uh it's wild how you know like at at this point obviously it's like worlds apart but like big star was such a like a proto-punk band in a lot of ways like you know sonically it's it's not anywhere near doing the same thing as a lot of these bands but if you look at like the nerves and you look at like a lot of that early new york stuff too like blondie like they're obviously like an influence on all this stuff Yeah, I think that their approach and their and their their ethic, I guess, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right word, um, was pretty punk. You know, they were doing things for themselves and and uh, yeah. not yeah, really sticking to the canon and all that stuff. Yeah, the subversion. I mean, just to, at that time to title a song and to write a song like Holocaust. You know, that's that's it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's yeah. Not the attitude. You, know, you can let that. And that third, that Big yeah. Star's third album, yeah. is bonkers. Yeah. They did so much weird stuff with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like it, it, it wasn't until later on that I think after punk, you know, obviously not punk itself because it can be very conservative in its own way. But I mean, like, it kind of opens the door for new wave and all this sort of stuff. Where like these bands that were alternative ultimately had space, kind of in a more mainstream place. But like Big Star, yeah. it must have been a hard road to hoe back then for them. I can imagine. Yeah. Cause they, and they didn't seem to really care that much. I mean, I'm sure they were kind of bummed. They didn't get more success, but they weren't bummed enough to compromise their aesthetic sense, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so I guess, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not sure, but yeah. And, and honestly, yeah, punk too. It's punk's gotten pretty conservative. I think it, it can I think it's actually come back around. I feel yeah. like, it got its most conservative in the nineties. Nineties, yeah. You know yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like it yeah. now, like you look and go to these shows, and it's it's punk. Punk looks like it always talked about itself looking like it is really yeah. diverse now in terms of like the kids yeah. that are on stage and the kids right. in the crowd, and yeah, like the Sonics they're yeah. making. I'm mm-hmm. we we went on tour recently, and it was like, wow, we're being blown off the stage some nights by some of these younger pants. That's awesome. That makes me happy. <laughs> that bodes well. Yeah. And it, there's almost like two punks now. It's like. There's yeah. definitely a, a, a mainstream punk that plays to these huge, like enormous, like stadiums and stuff like that. That uh, people that are are young that I talk to will throw out names that pack stadiums. Yeah, and I won't even. I'll never have yeah. heard them. Yeah. And and that's a different punk that I'm used to, you know. But I can't be critical of it. I don't. I don't even know. I don't know anything about it. Well, that's why I love doing this show because I've come to realize that everybody is somebody's poser and we're all just like, everyone's got their own definition of what this thing is and for better or for worse. And you're never going to live up to everyone's expectations of it, but that's the thing that makes it amazing is that we all have our own Mm -hmm. connection to it. And it's, it's something that like you were saying earlier, like even though we're 14 or 15 hearing this stuff or even younger, like you were saying that, like we carry it with us for our whole lives. Like yeah. It just is so fundamentally important. It leaves a mark. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's very interesting to like look at, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a number of friends that heard minor threat and straight yeah. edge. And that was the life they've led ever since. Like, it's almost like religion. That impact, I have friends totally. like that too. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And it's, it's amazing because they did find something really positive to kind of like, I've got other friends that heard Johnny thunders and went down a different road. So, you know, I, I think right. minor threats, the better one to kind of cling to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. <laughs> maybe like, so. But even watch. those people, even those people change, like if he's, if, you know, you talk to Ian McKay now, he's, he's like, you know, you can have a beer and it's cool. He's, you know, he's yeah. not, and they laid back, you know, I, my, like, my, down, uh, my wife is friends with, uh, uh, so, uh, the the key uh, from Fugazi and he, he we were doing some reunion shows the archers were doing some reunion shows and my wife was selling merch uh just to be with me you know uh during this time and uh we were in New York and he was hanging out with my wife because they're friends because through Vic Chestnut because my wife's uncle is Vic Chestnut or and so anyway um and Guy played in his band so uh they're hanging out and uh and she's watching a he's watching us sell all these shirts she tells me the story he's watching He's watching us sell all these shirts. He's like, man, you, these guys sell our shirts. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, we should have sold some shirts. <laughs> this was us? They're so, so yeah. He, he's sitting with Liz at the merch table while we're playing our show at Williamsburg, at the Music Hall Williamsburg. <laughs> I had no and, idea. And, he, and he just, he just <laughs> makes a comment that Liz thought was really funny. He's just like, man, we, we should have sold some shirts. Did, you know, did Liz say, well, maybe if maybe if your band gets successful one day, yeah, then you can yeah. sell some T-shirts. <laughs> but it was maybe just, if anybody's ever heard of your band, yeah. it just speaks to what we're talking about. Like he's not; these people are not judgmental. These people are not on a high horse, man. They just, no. yeah. they, they're cool, man. <laughs> but their band, like like Minor Thread or Rights of Spring or whatever, you know, it's got this. It sticks with people, but the band members themselves move on. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's like it's you know, and this comes up on the show time and time again, like we're fixated on these like little parts of these people's lives. Like it's a two or three year period in some yeah. cases, six months in some cases. And, and I know I'm certainly guilty of it, but like almost a fetishization of this like moment yeah. in someone's life where they're like, yeah, like I've lived dozens of lives since then. You're such a sponge at that age. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're susceptible. You hold on to that. it. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and as soon as something starts to feel evangelical in any sense, then that you're getting into trouble, I think. <laughs> and, and, and punk definitely has certainly the hardcore scene kind of struggled with that, you know? Yeah. I think the, the, I just actually read an incredible book about the unauthorized history of hardline or an outsider's perspective on the history of hardline mm -hmm. and just looking at the most, fundamentalist manifestation in punk which is like the yeah. super vegan straight edge kind of movement that sprung up where yeah people people got hurt like they did carry out yeah. actions and it's it's wild to look at the rhetoric and and then you know you trace it back and it's going back to like british peace punk and it's going back to like american yeah. hardcore stuff where you're like i don't think that's what these people envisioned when they wrote these no, songs that's right yep. as soon as as soon as you cannot accept a measure of human crapulence and 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 error and and um and uh fallibility then you're you know you're definitely going off in the wrong direction i think yeah i i i on one level i definitely applaud anyone that's got enough self-confidence to think they know better than anyone else because i certainly don't have that at this point no, in my me life either no, yeah no, <laughs> i have absolutely zero self-confidence in anything i do um i obviously have talked to you guys forever and anytime you guys want to come back on the show and chat more music you know the door is always open but before i go i, I was i wanted what what it was like at a certain point with you know because obviously archers of loaf now of a legend beyond reproach but there's a certain point where there is sort of like a, a mainstream awareness it felt like back in the 90s of the band and i was just wondering were you ever like did you ever have to deal with the pains of of major label pulls or or staying indie versus kind of going in a different direction well i i think we had because of the nature of what was happening at the time and and we were they were interested in signing us certain major labels where we had to deal with it and obviously we wrote about it a little bit because it was so sort of silly um I think, I think I would be, I think, I think it's fair to say that we did have to deal with it, but I also think it's equally fair to say that we, at the core of the band, didn't really give a shit. Um, yeah. In, I'd in agree terms, with that. I mean, we had to because, but our answer was a pretty loud no. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, we didn't really, 
want to do that. And, and I think we didn't want to do it, not because we had this sort of moral high ground, but we didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I can't speak for anybody else in the band. I didn't want to do that because I felt like if we did that, if we had made that jump, uh, it might have hurt me in the long run because I knew at that point, I knew in 1994 after the, the band, the Archers had made like two records, I wanted to do this until I was dead. Hmm. I knew I wanted to create and, and try to pull money out of it and try to make my life this. If I could do that, I'd be happy enough, you know, happy enough. And I thought if, if we have this major label, whichever one it was that, that was courting us at the time, uh, pay a million dollars to Alias to get us off this contract, and we don't make that money back and they drop us, then you're damaged goods. And I'm not going to be able to keep going. So it you, really you can, wasn't good. You can definitely speak for me on that. I I'm full agreement. It turned and, out to be the right decision because I'm 52 now. Yeah. I was 20, 24 at the time. And I've still been able to pull it up, pull it, pull it off. If I had done, if we had done that, I think I'd have been sort of like this cheesy prick that tried something that didn't work. And I made a fool of myself and didn't do that. So, yeah, so it wasn't an issue of like, I mean, in my, Heart of hearts, I do feel this way. Like it wasn't fuck corporate rock, although I, you know, fuck corporate rock, you know. But whatever. <laughs> but but it's it's not that. It's if if I could have made a million dollars, a trillion dollars doing it, I'll dance with the devil. Fuck it, I don't care, you know. Yeah. But it, it, it yeah. wasn't going to happen, and that's the core problem of it. They're exploiting people. They're fucking people yeah. over. That's what yeah. that's what's repulsive. Not not that some friends could do a band to make money. I want my friends' bands to make money. I want them to do well, you know. So that's an old story. We've heard it a million times, but that's that's why. We didn't do it, you know. Yeah, for me, it, yeah, it didn't. It, that was the same. It didn't work out in the long run in my mind. I was like, this is a losing proposition if we do this. But at the time, I don't remember. It, it didn't feel painful. It felt awkward very many times. But basically, these people are taking you to lunch. And and then you do like sort of a cursory walk through the office and like kind of get introduced to a bunch of people. And and they're all nice, you know. And, and then you go to the little vault at the end of the tour. And they, they've got all these all their releases like stacked up in this vault and they let you just fill up a bag if you want. So I got a whole <laughs> bunch awesome. of CDs that I wanted as a kid and got a free yeah. lunch. And, yeah. and, uh, and I remember yeah. like, um, uh, well, I, I don't want to like get anybody in trouble. So there, there was one label that I guess technically wasn't a major label, but was very well financed by a very high profile person who wanted us to sign on that label and they kept sending a rep from the label who was delightful human being would just take us out to dinner all the time. We said, look, you need to know in advance, we have absolutely no intention of signing to this label and we don't want to make it difficult for you. And the person was like, okay, cool. I, as long as I keep getting sent to take you guys out to dinner, I'm going to keep taking you guys out to dinner and we'll have a great time. Yeah. And we did every time that person would show up, we'd go, out, they'd take us out to dinner and we'd have a blast. I mean, Damien, the, under the, the thing, full understanding that we are never going to sign. You, you have to understand these, these people that are courting you are also just people that work for the thing and they're yeah. not working there. They're not working there anymore. Mm-hmm. They probably didn't work yeah. there a year later. Mm-hmm. So it's just a bunch of kids like being handed money to go out to dinner and they're trying to talk about business and, and we're just like, Every, yeah, that's a good description. No, I mean, it's just yeah. like everybody's just playing this fucking game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess, you know, if you're really ambitious and you really want to do that, you know, fine. You know, but we we just uh I just didn't feel like it was gonna work. I just didn't see that I didn't see the end. I didn't see the I didn't see the end game, you know. No, all I saw was all I saw was like an immediate like loan and then a whole bunch of debt. That's what it is. That's sort of what it what it felt like like it felt like a like an indenture trap or something and 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 so it didn't really appeal to me i wasn't real happy with i mean i won't lie i wasn't real happy with the relationship we had with our our current label at the time i had issues with it and was a little bitter about it or whatever but um it was still preferable to going down that other road you know yeah Yeah. and i think and i think to be fair if we had been wiser earlier on and had not done that particular deal, we might have done a different thing. Absolutely. It might have been, oh, we might have done this with because we like this guy. We like Jim Barber from Geffen. We would have liked that guy. I like that guy. That would have worked or whatever yeah. it would have been. Mm-hmm. We might have done that. And that could we'd be having a completely different conversation now, you know. Yeah. But given where we were in that moment, I feel very good about where it landed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think that's the thing with the these major label things is like you're you're looking at it and it's just you know, it's like buying a lottery ticket. The hope is that you you become the clash, 
and the reality is you might become well at best like a, a chumbawamba who had a huge hit you know mm -hmm. but but then it like kind of undercut like i think a lot of their amazing other stuff they did before that um where yeah. i don't think they're looked at in the same way that they would have been right but exactly yeah you know but yeah. it's it's a gamble and then there's tons of bands that we just you know like too numerous to mention that we never heard of again yeah. after they yeah. signed yeah and it just sucks it dry up yeah like it really does feel like when you're in control of your own career for better or for worse like at least <laughs> at least you can at least it's it yours man at yeah. least it's yours you know at least you can say yeah. okay i'm still going i'm still climbing up you know, i'm still doing whatever yeah you don't want to get trapped you need yep. you need to be able to stay mobile in my opinion and That's and i think that those big companies tend to it's just the way the model's set up you tend to you can get trapped in that stuff pretty easily mm -hmm. It's a dog. It's a weird time now too, because it's so different. I mean, again, these are people yeah. making these things up. So, if you want to talk about what what is, what are we defining? What are we talking about? A major label? Are we talking about Andy and Anti? Those people are killer. Yeah, you know, right. who, who are we talking about? Yeah. It's Merge is a change. massive label. It's like Merge is a big label. It's a big fucking label now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are these yeah. people unreasonable? No, they're not. So, who are we talking about? You know, back then it was more cut and dry. Back back right. in the, the dynamics of the nineties were very completely different, yeah. different than they are now. Yeah. It was a, it was a different economy, right? Like the idea totally. is like you could buy a CD from a DIY label, and they're it, it's not like you know it's an independent distribution company at that point, and mm -hmm. it's it's you know completely it's all analog. But mm -hmm. now we're we're ultimately all digital. We're all going to be right, on the right. stream streaming service. The little DIY label that put up one of our first seven inches is up there, right beside the multinational indie label, quote unquote indie label that we were yeah. on for a few yeah. records too. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And 15, I have no problem with that. Yeah. I I kind of yeah. love that. It's it's yeah. a little more. It's a little less, like Eric said, cut and dried uh, now than it was then. But I kind of like that, you know. It's a little more floating and, yeah, and and less mapped out, I suppose, or maybe it is, and I'm just not aware of it. Well, and I think that the amazing thing is that this scene does thrive, and like you were saying, there's this massive stadium manifestation of what punk is. But then there's also like these tiny, twenty people shows in the basement yeah. where the next wave of of artists are going to come out of that i yeah. think is the whole house show thing exactly and... yeah yeah it's, yeah it's like there's going to always be sort of a natural life cycle where you kind of like you don't age out of the mentality or the ideals but you age out of being part of this little pure capital p punk scene because yeah. you get into different stuff and you just you can't right. stay you know can't be yeah. peter pan forever you gotta grow totally yeah. that's right that's right and i yeah. honestly i don't i really couldn't give a rat's ass as long as people are getting that itch scratched, you know, mm -hmm. as long as you're getting that kind of emotional uh, uh, payback from whatever music you're listening to, whatever music you found, you know, that's the important thing. As long as it's getting out there and people are digging it, yeah. I don't care. I don't, I don't care how big a band is or small a band is as long as the, as long as, as people are getting, getting what they want out of the music, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my favorite bands didn't make more than 200 records. <laughs> it's like, who right. am I to say yeah. what's good music and what's bad music? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. Well, I will tell you one thing. This has been good times. And anytime either of you or both of you want to come back on this show and talk about circle jerking or, or <laughs> DIYing, you're always welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Damien. It's Thank been a blast. you so we, much. We yeah. This has been it. wonderful. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Matt and Eric, for coming on the show. And hopefully they will be back for another conversation because I had a great time doing that chat. Uh, also, shout out to my buddy, Zach Felberg. Zach was another guy who's long been championing uh, Archers of Loaf to me in the early days and, you know, uh, got played me Crooked Fingers for the first time. So shout out to Zach and shout out to Tristan. And shout out to Archers of Loaf. Pick up that new record. Reason in Decline. Coming out on a merge. October 21st. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, oh, great band. Unbelievable band. That's why we do this. Have fun. Have fun chats with people we like. That's what we're doing here. Speaking of that, coming up on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk, a very good friend of mine coming back for a part two, Autry Fulbright from the band Off, formerly from At You, and you will know us by the trail of the dead, and also of the band uh, Dead Havens. Uh, yeah, a, a great guy. I'll have a fun little chat, a catch up. We haven't had a, a catch up on this podcast in years. It's been a long time since it's been on the show. So I'm looking forward for you 
to hear that. All right, that is it for me uh, this week. Uh, Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different races. Because this is not politics. This is just basic human rights shit. People deserve to live free from hate and violence and fear. Uh, So get involved in organizations that are doing positive and good work in this world. Lend your time, lend your support, lend your money if the call is out there for that. Uh, I also add to this, we support people's rights to have abortions. And this is a human right. This isn't a political issue. There's lots of stuff that's politics. We can talk about politics all day, you know, lines on the road or, I don't know. A lot lot of stuff (laughs) spills over, of course. Like, I was going to say school, but school is also kind of a, a human right too, or it should be a human right. Anyway. Getting distracted from the issue here. So get involved in organizations that are doing positive work in this world and fuck all that Nazi fascist bullshit. There's no place for it. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. You really don't. You're going to be dead. So they will take those organs and give someone a new lease on life. I've seen it happen. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. Well, not actually the surgery, but I've seen the effects of it. So uh, please try meditating. Please try meditating because I didn't really believe in it. And every time I do it, I feel so much better. And it takes a while to kind of get adjusted to it. But then you just notice things from the meditation practice kind of seeping into your life. And it just, I don't know, I really do feel like it's, it is it is a really great self-improvement practice. And this is coming from someone who had no interest in it as of a couple of years ago. You listen to old episodes of this podcast. I don't talk about meditation at all. But now it's kind of working for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Also, make your own culture, because anyone can do this shit. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a start something. Start producing something creative, because that'll also help your mental health. And that's it. Thank you very much for, for supporting this thing, and thank you very much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.